Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Episode 7, lucky number 7. In a week leading up to two huge events in the fight world in boxing, Anthony Joshua versus Dylan White for the British and Commonwealth heavyweight titles. Plus, in the UFC, Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo. Two huge occasions and fights, which I'm sure we will all be across this weekend. I'm particularly interested in the Conor McGregor UFC bout. I watched his documentary Notorious uh, on a plane to London a couple of months ago and I was fascinated by him. What an intriguing character. If you get a moment, there's six episodes, all about 25 minutes long, and it gives you a real insight into one of the top athletes in the world. Speaking of top athletes, we've got another one here on the Best in the World with Richard Parr. It's the swimmer Nick Gillingham. He won over 17 championship medals. He's been a world record holder, a world champion, and a double Olympic medalist. And it's a really interesting chat with him on the best in the world. He tells me if there's anything better than winning and how we can learn from defeat. He tells me how he's learned from other athletes such as David Beckham and Michael Phelps. He also talks about the importance of visualization performance analysis and goal setting and he also tells me about when he met Queen Elizabeth II when he was awarded his MBE. All very interesting things to hear from from Nick Gillingham. And of course we're leading up to Christmas. If you've spent your money already, don't worry, I'm going to give you a gift. And that's from today's sponsor, audible.com you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash best over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iphone android kindle or mp3 player let me tell you that again it's www.audibletrial.com forward slash best let's hear from one of the best in the world Nick Gillingham. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. All right, Nick, welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. You may notice my voice is a little bit sore today. That's because I was shouting while playing football yesterday. Uh, But we lost. 
and I felt <laughs> terrible and it was very disappointing and I forgot that I behaved like an 11-year-old when I lost when I got home. How would you react to losing to a big defeat when you did a swimming race? Um, initially, there's um, a lot of upset, sort of mixed emotions. There's, there's frustration, there's anger. Um, uh, there's always a rational reason why. I wouldn't say that there's often disbelief. Sort of like I was very analytical. So um, you had a very good idea leading up to a competition how, how fast you were going to swim. And often the buzzword was fast. Um, you know, the glass is always sort of half full, not half empty. So um, I had an idea of performance uh, times that I might, might achieve. I was very goal-orientated. Um, uh, and if, if something didn't go right, it was, you know, it, it was perhaps half expected. Maybe there was a previous uh, illness or injury. But I would say I was very, very lucky in that respect. I only recall uh, three occasions in the 13 years I was with Great Britain where I, I had um, either an injury on, on two occasions and tonsillitis on another. So um, you have to be honest with yourself. And I think there's a realization that, you know, today might not be the best day. Um, and then you come back and you work out, well, why did I get injured? Uh, why did it get poorly? Why was I run down? You know, uh, why did I have to fly out on antibiotics and you know, have, have, have tonsils sort of uh, very fiery and enlarged? And you realize that maybe the, the balance in the training program wasn't right. Maybe there wasn't enough rest. It was too high intensity. And so you make adjustments and then you move forwards with, with uh, you know, uh, more motivation and, and, and a positive frame of mind. Is there one specific defeat which you particularly learnt from to improve later in your career? Yeah, I think the, well, I mentioned tonsillitis there. I lost uh, uh, the world record after 36 hours in 1989. I took the European title, I beat the Olympic champion, and I got the world record. And um, 36 hours later, it, it got dropped from 212.90 to 212.89 by Mike Barrowman um, at the other side of the world. So, um, I, um, uh, I, I went home and just, uh, trained, uh, trained like an animal really. Um, I remember my coach was shouting at me saying, this is a recovery session, Nick, you know, let's, let's take it easy. And I'm like, recovery, this isn't recovery. There's no time to recover. Let's like bang it on out, you know, and, uh, training on, on Christmas day that year and, and New Year's day and through to January 1990 because that was the Commonwealth Games are very early you see in Auckland so Southern Hemisphere so um, I had that sort of six month window to try and um, pull it back and just got very run down and uh, and learned the lesson really so I, I listened to my coach more and more as the you know as the years went by. So is there a better feeling than winning? Um... That's a very good question, Richard. Is there a better feeling than winning? You see, um, it's easy to say no, um, but we, if I just give a bit of, uh, paint the picture on that a little bit. So winning's extraordinary, winning's unusual. Um, if, it, if it wasn't, then we'd all win every day, all of the time. So I lost many more races than I ever cared to remember, but on many, many occasions, I saw myself as being very successful. So perhaps making a first major championship final for the first time, perhaps getting that first medal. Uh, at 19, I took a Commonwealth bronze next to the great Victor Davis, who was the, the world champion, the Olympic champion, the world record holder, and our own Adrian Morehouse, who was a Commonwealth champion, the European champion. So for me, that was winning. You know, that was my gold medal, even though it was a bronze, if that makes sense. Um, 
but when you're at the top, when you're being gunned at, and when you have had world records, um, and when you've won major uh, titles, then um, to retain your position is is really really sweet. So yeah, to answer your question directly, the the answer uh, uh, undoubtedly is yes. But it depends where you're at in your in your sporting career. And swimming's the sport where some meets you'd have not many people there watching, and then. Things like the 1988 Olympics, 1992 Olympics, you'd have four houses. How would your performance change depending on crowd size? Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. I, I was a big time performer. Um, really loved the buzz. Really loved the atmosphere. Um, you know, to, to walk out um, into that arena is a bit like um, being on stage. Really, it was almost like being in the theatre. You know, you you want to show off your talents to the. To, to the best in the world, all those that love swimming, are passionate about swimming, all those spectators um, that are maybe witnessing swimming for the first time live or even tuning in on, into the television uh, channel. You, you know, I, I, I saw um, an opportunity to um, uh, show, show excellence, really, like you would do on stage, like an actor would. Uh, and it's it something that I, you know, I, I prepared for. I'd, I'd done my dress rehearsals over and over and over again, and 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 it was, you know, it was time for the the, the curtains to to open. And um and and as you've said, in in swimming, there's not many of those occasions that are available. Sort of uh, when I was swimming, it really was once every four years. So it was it was the wow factor when when the curtain drew back. And and you know, I, I talk a, a lot to, to 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 young competitors about nerves and adrenaline and handling pressure and so forth. And there is a scary wow factor, but you want to be more in the wow than scared and just take it at face value that you've worked so hard for this occasion. And and you know, go and go and enjoy and grab every moment that's that's in front of you. Um, so it, it, for, for me, it was it was a very magical. Um, magical sort of experience and time in my life when I whenever I walked out for um well to, to live in the Olympic Games I should just, you know to live in the village to eat in the village to socialize in the village but, but more than that to walk out you know into the lane where you're going to compete with the world watching was just really really special now I've been struggling to sleep the last couple of weeks and it made me think what it does to a top athlete like yourself when you're uh, a day before a race and you know you've got, say, the Olympic final or uh, European final, Commonwealth final, the night before, what is your process to try and help you sleep? Do you work out late at night? Is there anything in particular you, you eat? Do you relax? Do you speak to friends? What, what do you do to, to calm yourself to make sure that you get enough sleep before a big race? Yeah, good, good question again, Richard. Um... I didn't tend to think too much that that last 24 hours, you know, you can get into overload. So um, I would uh, have a very relaxing day. Um, I would uh, uh, be um, uh, pretty close with my roommate. You know, there's this budding up situation and you'd have a, a roommate and you understood each other. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty close in terms of understanding each other's emotions and you might have a different training uh, or competition schedule. Um, but you respected each other's uh, emotions. So you had space, even though in the village it can be very busy. There's lots of people in the apartments and you're, you're sharing a room with, 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 with somebody else outside of family. It's a, it's a, it's a strange situation, environment. Um, take your own pillow, though. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, normal routine, uh, you know, uh, 
don't change your routine. You'll be more rested, but it would be wrong to stay up late just chatting away or, you know, reading a book or whatever. So just try and bed down at the normal time, get up at the normal time, eat at the normal time, eat the same sorts of foods, just keep routine, routine, routine. I would, um, I was, I was pretty strong at uh, visualization imagery. Um, I had to work hard at self-talk, so two psychological skills. And uh, when I built up the, the race video in my mind, I would play it the, that for the very last time the, the night before. And then I would see, I wouldn't see myself winning or certainly losing, but I would see myself uh, performing the ultimate performance with rhythm and timing and pace, feel for the water, um, and achieving a performance time that I knew would uh, give me a, a winning opportunity. I would, I would either be inside of my body, sort of feeling my rhythm and timing or watching the performance from the stand that sort of jump in and jump out quite unexpectedly. So I came across that skill um, uh, by accident and, and, I, and I, I built it up over the years and, and I would play that video and, and start uh, to, to nod off. Wake up in the morning, put all my stuff's um, thrown over the chairs. Um, it's all ready. I put it in my bag. I go to the pool. I know where my goggles are. I know where my spare cap is. I know where my spare suit is if it rips when I get in for the warm-up or even for the race. And then back to the, you know, you do your stuff. You go back to the village. You, you eat. You have lunch. You go back to bed to rest. And that actually then was quite a difficult time for me because um, I, uh, I would have uh, quite elevated heart rate. So, um, uh, most usually because I like the, the big time occasions, I'd, I'd swim well, um, it, you know, quite often a season best or a lifetime best in the morning heats. There was no semi-final, so you had, to, you had to crank it in the heats to get into the final. You wanted a good lane for the final. So then now is the apprehension of we're only a few hours from the final. I've eaten, I want to sleep, but the final's going over and over and over your head. You, know, you just can't get rid of it. And, and, and it can be excitement. It might not necessarily be... Um, uh, terrible nervous tension, you know. Um, so I, I could be lying in bed, my heart rate could be 160, and sometimes I wouldn't sleep. And uh, then you sort of get the negative voices in your head, I've got to sleep, I need some more rest, uh, why can't why is my heart rate up here, I need to calm this down. And there wasn't any psychological support at all um, back then in the uh, um, sort of the... the the mid to late 80s, early 90s, there was Dr. Richard Cox came in, I think, in 1991 just to start to touch on the theme of sports psychology, but it was all about and breathe in and let's be calm. We didn't sort of prescribe the psychological skills that you could develop. Um, so um, it was quite a, quite a, um, a, a raw sort of um, uh, state of psychological development that, in, in hindsight, I wish that I'd had because it's, it, it's on a silver tray these days. You know, you psychologists, nutritionists, strength conditioning coaches, and that would have really, really helped me. So um, I often woke up thinking, um, well, how's it going to go now? Because I haven't had the rest that I wanted to have. Um, but, you know, you subsequently learn that, hey, it was just an afternoon kick that I missed. Let's not be silly. So you try and rationalize with the negative voices in your head and you go and you warm up and you have that same routine and your warm-up's good and you hit your pace and uh, once again you're ready to race. Um, so um, the, 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 it wasn't so much the night before, but it was, it, it was about being prepared to, to have a coping strategy, but then it was throughout the next day really and, and not letting the negative voices in your head get the better of you and to talk back. And that, that in itself, I've mentioned self-talk, that is a psychological skill. Um, 
and I've heard uh, Michael Phelps talk about this. You have to have the you have to find the the lone voice in your head, the rational voice that can talk back, and um, all these little they actually call stressors. All these little ping ping stressors, little negative voices go running off once you find this this lone rational voice. Why is it there? It's because the the, the situation is important to you. You've worked so very hard for it, and uh, you deserve to do well. Uh, if you weren't bothered, you wouldn't have these voices. But you know. You want to be on the edge of your toes. You want the adrenaline, and 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 if that's there, it's, it's because it's important. If it's not, well, frankly, why are you bothering? So, the whole psychology sort of subject really fascinates me. Mm, really fascinates me as well. Um, nearly every guest we've had on the Best in the World podcast so far has talked about how they would visualise their next big match or final. Mm. Mm. Do you know now what you would do to try and lower your heart level down? the night before a race? I think it's just the knowing that, um, no, understanding what the body's going through, that actually that's quite normal. And if anybody has said to me, well, let's just rewind to the age of 11. So I was, because I was 21 when I won my first Olympic uh, medal, silver medal, um, and didn't have that much experience really. But at the age of 11, um, I'm, I'm, I'm at home in Walsall with my mum. She's a little Irish lady, five foot one, and she's putting my cornflakes on the table. And I say, I feel sick, I can't eat, I feel terribly sick. And she says, well, what do you feel sick for? And I said, well, I've got this gala. You know, I've got this gala coming up. It's an important competition. And, you know, she said, yes, so your point is. I said, well, all these boys I'm racing, they're all better than me. They're all faster than me. And she just said, well, what have you got to lose then? And I'm thinking, yeah, that those are the guys that have had the pressure because they are, they are faster than me, stronger than me, perhaps bigger than me. So let's just get in there and do it. Um, so the butterflies and nerves the thing is it's it, like i said it's there because it's important um and it was no it wasn't any any worse at the age of 21 at the olympic games or any world championship or, or um commonwealth or european event it was it was um it was just I guess throughout my career, I wished more people had kept reminding me it was normal and what have you got to lose. Um, at, at some point in my career, because I, I did become world number one and world champion, um, Commonwealth and European champion, then then it's a whole different um, mental environment. So uh, my mum, you know, if she'd have said, well, what have you got to lose? I would have gone, well, everything, my world record, my gold medals, maybe my reputation, you know, sponsors are watching and, and you know, I've won before, I've got to win again. If I don't win, am I, I, have I failed? So um, I think there would have been an interesting sort of uh, level of support or debate with, um, and I must say psychologists, not so much the coaches. The coaches are expected to have all of these skills, but you can't be an expert in every field. But an interesting debate with the psychologists around, uh, you know, success and failure, and what is it? What is, what is it? What does it look like? How would it feel? And not to fear failure. Um, so it, it, it was difficult when you're at the very top. You know, very difficult. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably like me. You're probably someone who's interested in self-improvement, learning, and just getting better in your everyday life. And I do that with Audible.com. Most recently, I listened to the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert T. Kiyosaki, really good book, gave me some insights into my personal finance and how I can improve in that. And you could do the same if you go to Audible, audible audible.com. So for you, the listeners of the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash best again that's audibletrial.com forward slash best for your free audio book i highly recommend it go do it but for now let's get back to nick gillingham the best in the world podcast with richard parr since you retired uh, I've, i've been looking on your website you you do various things such as motivational speaking goal setting role model effect um, what what are your principles of goal setting? Yeah, I um, I work mainly in sport um, and uh, often high, high achieving young people um, uh, and often work with, with young people that are hard to reach as well that need some clear direction and it doesn't matter whether you're involved with high performance sport or, or sports development or whether you're uh, ploughing through education or even in, 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 in and through uh, business and in the workplace. I think if we are uh, goal orientated will be so much more successful. So, you know, in, in sport, it's very obvious. You have your, your process goals, the day-to-day stuff, the training stuff, which allows you to perform. So then we have performance goals and targets because that's what a goal is, it's a target. And then ultimately, that we, we hope that performance goal will give us the end result, the outcome goal, the outcome that we want. Um, but all the time in, in sport, um, you hear a lot of sports people talking about the, the dream goal. In fact, uh, Beckham and one of the adverts he's doing it is called... Um, dare I use the phrase, uh, going beyond your goal, the particular product that's called beyond. And I thought, wow, you know, I didn't quite reach my dream goal to be um, an Olympic champion, um, although I did become a world champion, world record holder, I got two out of three. But to go beyond that dream goal is, is just extraordinary, isn't it? Totally sort of extraordinary. And, and, and what a gentleman he is. Um, 
I love I love sort of uh, hearing uh, Beckham speak, and but, but so uh, having this dream goal can get us out of bed on a cold, dark winter's morning. From a nine-year-old kid, I, I saw the Olympic Games on television, um, and there was a guy with a moustache, David Wilkie, won a gold medal for Great Britain, and he was a breaststroker. That's all I could do, and I thought, well, I'm good at breaststroke. Well, I like breaststroke. Backstroke, you keep banging your head, and I'm not really very good at other stuff. But I want to be like uh, David Wilkie. So my dream was to always go to Olympic Games from a very, very young age. And that's a that's a powerful thing, and if we uh, if we dare to dream, I think that that ultimately we'll be so much more successful. Even if you don't achieve that dream goal, okay. And I wanted to become an Olympic champion, didn't quite make it. But but had I have not dared to have sort of have that vision, um, I wouldn't have achieved near half the stuff that I did achieve throughout the whole of my career. So ultimately, we will be so much more successful, and that's that. Then I think is is, is a very exciting situation, and. Um, as we as we drive forward, we'll have the ups and downs, but ultimately we'll feel so much more fulfilled as well. Because I would hope that uh, whatever the dream goal is for anybody out there, you're following your passions and desire for something. I, I love water. I love being in it, on it, around it, under it, whatever, paddling on it, um, enjoying it with my kids. Um, and so, it's, you know, water, swimming has been a part of my life and still is. So, um, you know, a lot of the long, hard days don't always feel like work. So, you know, if you can, if you can find that and, and, and you know, take it through your life, then, then fantastic is what is the message I would give. So it's almost aim for the stars and hopefully you'll reach the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all those sayings out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't you say aim for the moon, reach the stars, can you land on the moon? It's still, still a good result, eh? Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Um, also, you, you spoke about um, your role model of becoming, of getting into breaststroke. Do you have a role model now? Um, do I have a role model now? Gosh, um, I probably do in 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 the workplace. Not so much in in sport. I'm, I'm involved with. Um, well, I'm a tutor and assessor from a national governing body, so I deliver um, the. Uh, the coaching uh, courses and qualifications because there's no exam so I'm the assessor sort of the, the tutors of the gateway to the sport and we have to go through quite rigorous assessment qualifications and, and, and assessment practice and I've learned so much over the last couple of years through my own advanced practitioner who um, who I see as a mentor um, and he's a, he's a role model for in my opinion for the whole workplace and I've been quite privileged to to work with him so um yeah, it's got kind of moved from the um, the sporting context into the, um, uh, the the transitioned into the work environment, if you like. But I, I use the word tentatively because I have a passion for what I do. So um, it, a different sort of role model is, is is the is the answer there, but equally important. Because I, I saw on some of the websites connected to you that uh, there's quite a lot of stroke analysis going on. How much is technology helping the sport right now? Oh, huge, huge! Yeah, absolutely. The um, yeah, we have a system uh, called some Optimum, which allows um, coaches, uh, sports scientists, to analyse a race performance um, very accurately and, and, and very quickly, um, and feed that data back so they can analyse and, and, and create a new race plan um, for the next competition. Um, in fact, the, the the next race might be that evening on the same day so it can be done that quickly um 
and looking at technique and efficiencies of technique is you can be big, you can be strong, you can be powerful. You know, there's only so many millions of miles you can do throughout your career. Everyone's working very, very hard. Uh, they're full-time professional athletes. And so the, the technicalities of swimming are just huge. And, and to try and find that ultimate level of efficiency um, is is really the, the, the key, you know, sort of to, I suppose, allow the magic of the water to work with you instead of, you know, the water's your friend, don't go bashing it. <laughs> so um, let's caress it. And I, I, my biggest strength is my technique. Uh, you know, I'm a six-foot wannabe, but my arms are long. Um, and I thought if I can't beat you on top of the water, I'll beat you underneath the water. So I used to make better space rockets than other people. So the buzzword in swimming is streamlining. So, um, yeah, I was, I was uh, and tell this to young kids, you know, they love making space rockets. So, um, and I'd come off many turns catching up my rivals who were more powerful than me. But because I was more aerodynamic, I'd be catching them up underwater while not even swimming. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, on, on many occasions that how great that felt. And that's actually the major championship final. I was very switched on to um, to what was going on in my body. Um, so uh, those are the sorts of messages I like to, to, to put across. But so, yes, the, the science of it, the analysis for technique and racing is, is huge and making, uh, you know, some of the biggest differences at the highest level. But I've already touched on uh, the um, nutritionist and the, the, the psychologist, the, the strength and conditioning coach. I wish that I'd had a strength and conditioning coach when I was younger. And my coach said, you need to be strong. Go to the gym and push those weights. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. But no real guidance or support. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a much bigger team around you these days at the highest level. Um, but at, at a lower level, fundamentally, we need to be skillful and spend time doing skills. Don't just bash out the lengths would be my message to, um, to any young swimmer. And you, you said there about being efficient in the pool. What about being efficient out of the pool? How good was your time management? How important is time <laughs> management for a, a young athlete? Um, I probably spend too much time uh, looking at the detail, minutiae as it is, and, 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 but then that's kind of good for part of my job, but then my day can be very, very long because I spend too long on tasks. So I'm constantly battling um, against myself, and yet yeah, time management is... Is an important subject to us all, but I think when the the the, the busier you are, um, then uh, the more you get done. You know, I I spend quite a lot of time looking at my diary on a daily basis to find where the gaps are. You know, is there a gap where I could go for a half hour run? Is there a gap where I could pick the children up from school? Um, is there a gap so I can go and coach my son? To, you know, because uh, my my two children have different sports, I like to spend as much spare time as I can. Um, with them and for them so um it it was uh, a, a, gosh um a challenge let's just say because there's two types of people there's process orientated and outcome orientated people so i was very very um outcome orientated i wanted to to do well i wanted to work hard very determined um very competitive and just go for it but because i struggled a lot with um uh, if you like nerves, uh, high levels of anxiety in competition. If I wasn't organised, then the, you know I could crumble. So I need to spend time being organised um, to to to, to minimise my uh, high levels of emotion. Uh, so so being organised became a coping strategy. So I became more process orientated, but that wasn't natural to me. I'm more outcome orientated. So. Um, I, I just felt it was too time-consuming to be organized, but I had to become that person. And so it's helped me in the workplace. Um, 
And you know, I like to think I don't miss too many deadlines. Um, and if that means working till midnight, then I have to work till midnight to, to get that deadline in for tomorrow. So that, that, that's, that's the reality of it, you know. Uh, maybe I'm too much of a perfectionist, as my wife says, but, you know, we all like to do a good job. I guess that's how you break world records and become world champions. <laughs> um, <laughs> no so when, no. when you do get a moment, how, how do you unwind? Uh, well, I, I think sport and activity is, is an important aspect of my life. I still try and um, uh, find uh, at least three occasions in the week where I can go for a run, go to the gym or go for a swim. Swimming's more time-consuming. It's easy to put your trainers on and just go running around the countryside. We live in a lovely lovely uh, neck of the woods in the United Kingdom in Northumberland, lovely beaches, castles, countryside. So I, I just like to get out and enjoy the fresh air, and, and that helps me uh, de-stress and you know, I have more patience for everything then. Um, and like I've said, spend time with my, my, my children. You know, my, my, uh, our youngest son is a swimmer and he, he, he does triathlon as well. And he's competed in regional championships over the last two weekends in England and Scotland. And our eldest son, who's 15, he was uh, shooting for uh, the Basque uh, Association. So he's quite good at uh, capers and shooting, skeet and all that stuff and getting good scores. So it's really nice to, to stand out, you know, even in a, in, a, in a very cold winter's morning and, 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 you know, the wind starts to blow, but he's enjoying himself and I'm enjoying watching him enjoying himself, you know. So for me, that's enjoying the children is, is, uh, is an important aspect of my life. Are you a competitive dad at all? Because being a world champion, do you kind of push your children a bit further or do you just let them enjoy it? I think it surprises people to see how laid back I am. I know how tough sport is at the highest level and I know how tough swimming was. And our children have made their own choices. They've chosen their own sports and they're under no illusion that if they want to go the full distance, how, how tough it's going to be. So if anything, I'm... Um, holding them back a little bit more in terms of expectations for long-term athlete development. Um, you know, sort of uh, the early mornings and swimming twice a day and the expected meterage is, is something that um, uh, Benjamin is aware of, but he, this is our youngest 13-year-old boy, but he's not, um, he's, he's not at that level yet. Uh, I'm sort of keeping him hungry in some sense. Um, you know, he, he, he if, if I, I would always say, you're swimming today, and uh, he would say yes. He would very rarely say no. Uh, if he's very tired, he'd, the, the words out of his mouth would be, I need to. Uh, and I would remind him that he doesn't have to. But it's quite a good sort of uh, psychological strength, isn't it? He, he's very target-orientated. He has a whiteboard. He's written down what competitions he wants to qualify for, what, what performance times he wants to achieve for different events so he knows that if he's not going to go training he's probably not going to achieve those times so he's intrinsically motivated so for me it's about uh, allowing my children to take ownership of something ultimately they'll make the choices and um and be successful uh, because of that um and i think that's and don't just mean successful in sport but successful in life at whatever they choose to do um so i think uh, uh, I guess from the outside looking in, people don't realise um, uh, the level of support that I give. It's, it, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a soft approach, but it's allowing them to um, to make those choices, to be educated to make those choices, and ultimately, at, at the same time, then uh, pass the ownership 
onto them so that um, it's not me telling them to. It's, it's them make, making their own decisions for themselves. And ownership is, is a powerful thing. And your success meant that you became an MBE. What was it like when you met the Queen? Um, daunting, yeah, the red carpet. And I um, I remember the day very, very clearly and, and sort of turn to your right and, and you pace in front of the audience and then you, you turn to your left and uh, you, you bow and you take three paces forwards and all this is, is literally rehearsed. And uh, she offers you her hand and she had no glove, which really surprised me. And uh, uh, it is obviously one of the rare occasions where the Queen, uh, Her Majesty, doesn't wear uh, uh, any gloves on her hands. And she, she shook my hand and she, she almost sort of squeezed it quite firmly. And she was talking to me. She kept on sort of shaking my hand, but in a very firm sense. And um, she said, um, uh, uh, bronze in Barcelona. Um, and as she presented me the MBE, she said, uh, uh, another one to add to your collection it was bronze in Barcelona. I said, yes, mum, silver in Seoul. Um, and she said, congratulations. And nobody would have seen this, but she literally shunted me away. So when she's shaking your hand very firmly, um, there's a little nudge through to your shoulder that basically says, right, your time's up. Take three paces backwards <laughs> and turn to your right and, and walk off. And um, I nearly tripped over myself when <laughs> <laughs> I walked back and turned to the right. I thought, oh, gosh, I better get moving. I don't want to hold anybody up, you know, when I was relishing the moment. So uh, it, was, it was wonderful. Oh, well, this has been a wonderful chat as well, Nick. Nick, could you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, uh, a little bit, anything else you want to promote, and how they can follow you on Twitter or on Facebook or any other kind of social media? Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, let me think. It's... Um, the Twitter address is at MBE Nick. Um, and uh, there's also, uh, well, we're actually launching a new website soon uh, in the coming weeks, which is uh, Nick Gillingham Swim Academy, uh, uh, com. There's uh, also the, the Swim Optimum website, which is analysis website, swimoptimum.com. Um, but um, Swim at Nick Gillingham. Uh, 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 is the uh, you know, the email address? That's quite a, you know an easy one to um, to get in touch. That would be great. Nick, this has been a really fantastic chat. I'll make sure everyone gets in touch. I'll put that on the page when we launch the uh, interview. But Nick Gillingham, thank you for being the best in the world. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Thanks very much. The best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. I think we'd all agree with the different guests we've had on the best in the world with Richard Parr. A lot of these top athletes really learn as much after they've retired as they learn while they were competing. They're able to reflect and look back and see what they could have done to improve themselves even more. And I think Nick certainly did that. Really enjoyed the chat with him. I'm sure we'll have more swimmers on in the future on the best in the world with Richard Parr. And of course, go back, listen to some of the other interviews. If you're into hockey, listen to Ellen Hoog. If you're into rugby, Chester Williams or David Campisi, two of the best rugby players in the history of the sport. We spoke to Bodo Ilgner, a footballer, and we've got many different people lined up, be it world champions, Olympic champions, from across the globe in different sports. There's only one place to be. That's here on The Best in the World with Richard Parr 
podcast. Download it on iTunes or on Stitcher. Don't forget, you can go to my website. That's www.richardparr.net and send me a tweet at Richard underscore Parr or visit the Best in the World with Richard Parr Facebook page. So many ways to get in touch with me. Love to get your feedback on the show. But until then, I'll see you next week. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 